Hello everyone, this is Deborah Richardson and today I am putting the AP in Happy where accounts payable teams are empowered to protect the vendor master file from fraud. This podcast will give a voice to accounts payable team members by talking about the growing reality of cyber attacks in their world and which vendor setup and vendor management techniques they can apply to protect the vendor master file from fraud. If you are looking for vendor process training for you or your entire vendor team, head over to my site at DeborahRRichardson.com and click on the Vendor Team Training Solved button to learn more about what is included in the annual plan and also to download a training schedule. Get the training that you and your team needs to avoid payment fraud, duplicate vendors, compliance, fines, and more. So I had an earlier podcast in uh, early 2019, and it was episode 23. It had the same topic, but since then, I've learned a lot. Fraudsters have learned a lot. So I thought I'd provide some updated information and resources on uh, validations to set up foreign vendors so that you avoid fraud, regulatory fines, and bad vendor data. And make sure you stick around to the end because I have a new training course on accepting your vendor's W-8. So keep listening. Welcome to episode 189, U.S. Entity, Validations Required to Set Up a Non-U.S. or Foreign Vendor, Updated. So if you work in finance, accounting, purchasing, or accounts payable um, department of a U.S. agency or an entity and are responsible for setting up vendors in your accounting system or ERP, then this podcast episode is for you. The information will keep you compliant with regulatory agencies and will also ensure that you are validating that the vendor is real and that the data is not fraudulent prior to adding the vendor to the vendor master file or even updating an existing vendor in your vendor master file. And that's what we want, folks real vendors with accurate information. I split this up into two separate, actually four separate categories. I have basic requirements. I have additional requirements if the payment method is ACH wire, additional requirement if you are a government agency or entity, and then there's an additional requirement if you are a healthcare organization. All right, so let's start with the basic requirements. Uh, The first one is the vendor legal name and tax ID validated against the Internal Revenue Service or IRS records. Now that is if they do have a tax ID and some may, you may have a foreign payee, an individual that is ineligible to have a 
uh, SSN or social security number issued by the social security administration, but they need a tax ID. And so the IRS will issue them an I-10, which is an individual taxpayer identification number. So they could have that, or they could have an EIN as a tax ID. And it used to be that that employer identification number EIN uh, for foreign entities, uh, started with a nine, eight. And I think that was when they did it, uh, requested it online through their, uh, the IRS's SS4 form where you can request an EIN and get in like 15 minutes. Um, in any event, uh, the IRS has in the past and in some scenarios continues to categorize like the first two digits based on, you know, what type of vendor it is. And for foreign payees that used to be with the EIN starting with a nine, eight, but I don't think they do that anymore. But if you see a uh, tax ID or EIN that starts with a nine, eight, you'll most likely see that it will be a foreign vendor. So If they have a tax ID, be it an EIN or an I-10, then you will want to make sure that you validate that against uh, the IRS record. So do a 10 match. Now, the next two are really uh, if the vendor does not have Uh, or maybe in addition to the uh, IRS tax ID, they have other tax registration numbers because it's not always, you know, only about the IRS uh, tax IDs. There are other countries that have other vendor or um, I should say individual business tax registration numbers. Uh, And those numbers uh, should be collected if you have them, especially if they are Uh, resources to validate them against. And some of those really are required. It may not be required by the vendor team, but other departments may depend on uh, the collection of those numbers or those uh, registration numbers in order to, for example, reclaim VAT tax. So VAT tax is on uh, some countries' invoices, and in order to reclaim that, they'll need the VAT number or the value-added tax uh, registration number of your vendor. And so it it would help a lot if the vendor team, number one, collected that number, and then number two, validated it. So the vendor value-added tax or VAT number against VAT, um, the information exchange system or VISE. So you do need to uh, verify if there is a VAT number. You need to collect it, record it, and then check it against the VISE system to make sure that it is valid. And that is the same with other uh, tax uh, numbers, uh, uh, registration numbers that may be uh, applicable in other countries. So Canada, I know, has the business number. Um, We've got some other uh, tax uh, registration numbers like GST in India, and I think Canada has GST too. Uh, But you need to identify for that country what uh, registration numbers there are, be it 
individual business or tax registration numbers for that vendor for that country and you need to collect it and you need to validate it if that's possible. Now, I do have a uh, global vendor registration numbers uh, reference list. Uh, It is a uh, paid resource on my site. I'll put a link to it, but you can get a percentage off. I think I have 25% off. If you first, uh, download the free vendor validation reference list with resource links, um, that has actually all of the validations I'm talking about today, All of those are on that uh, free download. But when you download that for free, then you also get a uh, discount code to purchase the global vendor registration numbers. And that has uh, tax, business, and individual registration numbers for 100 plus countries. So check that out if you're interested. So anyway, now you've got your tax IDs or vendor registration numbers uh, identified and validated. Now we're going to talk about the um, watch list again under basic requirements. And so you want to validate uh, your vendor's legal name. Uh, Check it against the OFACs. Uh, They have actually two sets of lists. They have the specially designated nationals list or SDN. And then they also have uh, a a number of watch lists under the consolidated non-SDN list that you want to check them under as well. And the good news is, is if you use the link that is on the vendor validation reference list with resource links, uh, it takes you to the OFAC tool. And if you uh, leave everything as is, as default, and you search your vendor, it searches all the lists, um, all the watch lists uh, for both the SDN and non-SDN uh, with that one search. So you don't have to do multiple searches. It works with that one search. And that's the same thing. Uh, And that's a free um, validation. There is a paid uh, validation um, uh, using some other tools, including tincheck.com. And it, with that one, you know, click of the button to validate, it'll search all of the included watch lists, which does include all of the OFAC ones. So you don't have to do multiple searches. It'll, it'll be, uh, uh, checked. Your vendor's legal name will be checked against all of those lists with one search. So it's not as bad as it sounds. Now I'm calling it a basic requirement, uh, because you, you need to do it as part of your core, uh, validations, but it's really not basic because it is very critical and, As a result of the Russian invasion on Ukraine, I think I've said this uh, on um, multiple podcast episodes um, recently, uh, but as a result of uh, that invasion on Ukraine, uh, there have been uh, increases in those OFAC lists. So those lists were never static anyway, right? They always change. That's why you need to consistently 
Um, do your checks against these lists, um, not just when you originally onboard your vendors. Uh, but as a result of this invasion, uh, those lists have grown uh, significantly more than normal. So you want to make sure that you're always at least checking those OFAC lists and you do those, uh, do it often because U.S. entities and individuals are prohibited from paying vendors that appear on those lists. All right, the last of the basic requirements is the vendor address. And so you want to make sure that the address is mailable. You want to, you know, if you have to send out a 1042, you definitely don't want that coming back. So you want to make sure that the address is good and that it's just not a fraudulent address. And so I've got a couple of resources. Again, um, all of these are on the vendor validation um, reference list with resource links, uh, but you can check it against the U.S. Postal Service. Uh, you can't, there's no tool to enter it in like it is a U.S. address, but they do have, if you look up publication 28, they do have listings and reference of how uh, non-U.S. or international addresses should be formatted. Uh, now you can do that or you can use uh, the uh, Universal Postal Union, which I typically um, suggest when it is a non-U.S. entity sending to another non-U.S. entity. So if you're both international, uh, but it also has, UPU also has um, formats for uh, based on country of what the address should be like. Now they do have uh, I think it's like a PDF or something where it has the format, but then they also have uh, some, they'll suggest websites that you can go to based on the country uh, to check those address formats as well. Now, another one that I really like is, uh, used to be called Smarty Streets, uh, but now it is just Smarty. They rebranded, but they have, uh, and it's by subscription. So it is, uh, for pay, but it's, I think it's like $7 a month for like a hundred lookups per month or something. It's not a lot, but what I like about it is that not only, um, will it give you the format. So you enter in the, uh, the international address and it'll give you the correct format for it, but also tell you the status of it. So it'll tell you if it's inactive, a PO box only, or, uh, if it's vacant. All right, so those are the basic requirements. Now, here are additional requirements if you are paying them electronically. So if the payment method is ACH or wire. So the first one is you do need to validate the bank branch details. So if you have a vendor um, and their bank is in a non-IBAN country, so I think it's the SEPA countries that use IBAN, uh, if they do not use the IBAN, then they're going to use the BIC, which is the business identifier code um, that can be used on the SWIFT uh, network. So you do need to verify uh, that BIC uh, uh, slash SWIFT code. You want to make sure that your payment will be successful and will not come back as failed. So you do need to verify that. And then if you are in a uh, 
if your vendor is in a country that requires the IBAN, then you do want to verify that IBAN. And uh, again, you don't want the payment to not be successful. Uh, and the IBAN is a little trickier one because uh, the IBAN format is different uh, based on the country. And that IBAN format can include the bank branch details, um, the account number itself, check digits, uh, the two-digit um, uh, country code. And so uh, it's not the same, you know, across countries. And what I like to do is I like to, one, require a company branded ACH form, and then all their information that I require is on that form, including the IBAN. But then I also require a, a a bank letterhead with the IBAN on it. And that's to make sure that the person that's filling out the company branded ACH form or that you are dealing with just doesn't fat finger it, right? Because it can be a long code. Some of those countries, I think the longest that I've seen is like 30 digits. And so I do recommend that you require uh, the banking information of the IBAN on bank letterhead. And I know I typically do not um, uh, require or recommend collecting the uh, banking information on company, you know, letterhead or banking letterhead because it could be forged. But when you put that together with a company branded ACH form, then it is acceptable to receive and even recommended as far as what I recommend. Uh, again, because it's a lot of digits and someone could just fat finger it. So you've got two different resources to verify it against. So, um, uh, you do want to check the bank branch details, meaning the IBAN or the BIC slash SWIFT code. And then if you have a resource to validate uh, bank account ownership, meaning that the vendor's uh, legal name uh, matches the bank account holder's name for the uh, bank account number that they give you or that they gave you, even better, uh, that is a cost assigned to that. And so there are, there's uh, one uh, resource that I have on that vendor validation uh, reference list with resource links that you can download for free. Uh, there is one reference or resource on there where you can validate non-U.S. or international bank account ownership. So if you have the ability to check bank account ownership for non-U.S. or international banks, I recommend that you do that as well. And then last one for uh, uh, ACH or wire payments is you do need to verify the bank name. So just like you validate the vendor legal name against OFAC's SDN list and consolidated non-SDN list, there's also a list from OFAC that you need to verify your vendor's bank is not on it. And that is the list of foreign financial institutions subject to correspondent account or payable through account sanctions. It's the capital list. And that list is part of the consolidated non-SDN list, again, from the Office of Foreign Assets and Control. So not only do you have to check your vendor's 
uh, legal name uh, in that search tool, but also your vendor's bank name. All right, so two more requirements. So this next one is if you are a government agency or entity, you receive federal funds, you are not allowed to do business with vendors that appear on their excluded parties list system or EPLS. And so you want to go on sam.gov and you want to search their exclusion list. And again, That link is on the vendor validation reference list with resource links, as is the very last additional requirement for non-U.S. vendors. And this one is if you are a healthcare organization. And so if you are, you are not allowed to do business with vendors that have been excluded from receiving federal um, Medicare and Medicaid funds. So you want to check the vendor's legal name against the list of excluded individuals and entities or LEIE from the Office of Inspector General. And again, that link is on the reference list. All right, so I hope this list of validations helped you identify um, what you may need to add to your current validations of non-U.S. or foreign vendors. Uh, I also do want to tell you about that I talked about earlier that I have a new essentials training series where every Wednesday of the month I have like the same recurring training. So on the second of every month, I have the whole authentication validation management uh, workshop. It is four hours, but it contains five authentication techniques. Uh, I think I go over 14 or 15 different vendor validations, and I have 12 internal controls and 14 best practices. Basically, it is everything that I talk about on this podcast, on my blog posts, vendor master file tips of the week. All of my content is based on uh, this one training and workshop. So that's on the second Wednesday of every month. On the third Wednesday, uh, I go over 10check.com validations. If you have that service and wonder what all those validations are, you can join that. And then on the fourth Wednesday of every month, I go over uh, IRS W-9 examples by tax classifications and really is to train your vendor team on what to look for when accepting your vendor's W-9, like when you should accept it and definitely when you need to reject it. And I am adding in July. So the first Wednesday in July, I know it's bad because it is the July 4th holiday week, but I am starting it anyway in July, uh, it will be uh, on the W-8 Ben and W-8 Ben E. So that's for individuals and uh, entities. So foreign individuals, foreign entities. Those are the two forms that are uh, from foreign vendors that accounts payable typically receives. And so we'll go over those forms uh, uh, to train your team members on how to accept it, what to look for, when to send it back. So uh, I will put a link to the Essentials Training Series page that I have. So you can see all four of those. Those are paid uh, trainings, but they do come in the vendor process training uh 
uh, vendor process team training pass uh, that is for all of your team members. It's an annual pass. And if you get that, then all of your team members can go to all the training that I have, including uh, weekly Thursday trainings and weekly Friday Q&A sessions, uh, along with having access to download all of my digital content, templates, forms, uh, everything that I have available for purchase and some that I don't have available for purchase. But if you're just interested in the W8Ben and the W8Benny training, click on the essential uh, essentials training series and you'll see the link to sign up for that. All right. So thanks everyone. I hope you enjoyed the 189th episode of the Putting the AP in Happy podcast, where accounts payable teams are empowered to protect the vendor master file from fraud. Don't forget to check the show notes for the links mentioned in the podcast. And if you enjoyed this episode, consider subscribing and writing a review of my podcast on the platform that you use to listen. Stay happy. Stay happy.